Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9. Um, this is a little communique between Chris and Chris and I. Um, the first passage, we're, we're going to forego that. Uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 9. Right out of the gate, I want to start with a question. And that is... <clears throat> What is the greatest miracle that God can do? And if we were to survey, we probably would come up with one of three three answers to that question. The first one would be healing the human body. Is that not a really awesome miracle when God does that? Uh, the second one would be raising the dead. And, you know, did not Jesus raise himself from the grave and and uh, that in itself is a great miracle. But I believe the third, and the third one is what I believe is the greatest miracle, and that is the salvation of a lost soul. Um, I know why it happens. I talked about this last week. I know why it happens, but I cannot tell you why God did what he did. Why he would sacrifice himself for a sinner like me. I, I don't get it. I just don't. I believe that the salvation of the lost is the most precious and greatest of all miracles because the cost of salvation, because of the cost that had to be paid, the Son of an Almighty God had to sacrifice himself I believe it also is the greatest of the miracles because of the changed lives and that, that, that take place because of, as a result of the salvation, the sanctification that takes place in lives. And then the third reason I believe that it is the greatest of all miracles is because of the glory that it produces, the glory to God that it produces. In Acts chapter 9, which we're about to read, we're, we're going to look at some different principles. I'm going to give you five principles. They're not going to be outlined in the, in the, in the uh, uh, message per se, but you'll see these five uh, principles uh, throughout the, the, the message this morning. The first one is uh, God is always working behind the scenes. You know, we don't always know what God's doing, but we know he's there. We can trust that he's there and that he's in control. The second one is God blesses and uses people who will surrender their lives to him. Uh, again, that's one of the byproducts of the salvation is the fact that God uses people. The third one is that God is working in multiple places at the same time. You know, oftentimes we will acknowledge that God's working, but we forget that he's working in the lives of other people at the same time. And it's easy to forget that. The fourth one is that the, uh, God shepherds each congregation or each church according to their specific needs. 
You know, the needs of Grace Baptist Church in Fernley, Nevada are far different than the needs of other churches around the world and in our country today. Because every church is different. The makeup of our people is different than the makeup of any other church in the world. So that means God is working in our church differently than he is in any other church. And that in itself is an incredible blessing. And then the fourth one, or excuse me, the fifth principle that will be interwoven in all of this is the fact that God is the God of second chances. And I, I and out of all of the principles we're going to be kind of weaving through the message this morning, that one is the one that I feel is the most precious to me. Number three is uh, God is working in multiple places at the same time. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 9, let's start reading in verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in the upper chamber. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this passage, I ask that you would do a mighty work and that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. Lord, help help us to look at this uh, lady named Tabitha and, and Lord, help her to her, let, help her life to influence our lives. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of my message this morning is The Miracle of Revival. The Miracle of Revival. Now, next week we start our revival. Uh, Sunday, <clears throat> Monday, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night of next week. And <clears throat> I, I, I shared this last night at the, the, the prayer meeting that we had here but I, I have already started asking God to do a work in my heart and life. Uh, I need revival. I, I don't know about you, but I need revival. And I, I spent some time out in the desert this week specifically asking God to do a work in my heart. And I, I hope that we all do that because it, it is important because revival starts in the heart and and uh, we need uh, we need to we all need revival do we not this morning I want to look at this lady named Tabitha or Dorcas and we're going to talk about that here in a moment But number point, my first point this morning is a special person. She is a, an incredibly special person. Let's read verse 36 again. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was uh, full 
of good works and almsgiving, which she did. Now, this is a special person. Now, <clears throat> I want to uh, tell you that the name Tabitha is her Hebrew name. And it, it says here, by interpretation, is Dorcas. So Dorcas is her Greek name. Okay, Tabitha is in Dorcas. It, it, they both mean gazelle or graceful. So by definition, this is a very graceful woman. Um, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And so right out of the gate, we find out that, that, that um, Tabitha is a graceful person, a special person. Uh, Tabitha is just one of many women in the, in the early church that uh, is identified as being godly or, or blessed, if you would, uh, a lady in the, in the New Testament. I want to give you some examples. Uh, Mary uh, is obviously, and there's multiple Marys in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, that are very precious, very special women. Uh, Martha. Priscilla, if you don't know who Priscilla is, look her up. She's a precious lady. Uh, Phoebe is another one that you may not know. Uh, Lois, Eunice, and I could go on and on. Uh, these are all precious women that, that God has <clears throat> uh, seen fit to recognize in Scripture. But there's something about... Tabitha that I find intriguing and that is this that God identifies her as a disciple he calls her a disciple uh, look at verse 36 again now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha that is an incredible title to give to anybody. And as I started thinking about it, I said, I thought, I thought to myself, what are, what are some of the characteristics of a disciple? Now, what does, it, what does the word disciple mean? It, it, it literally means to be a devoted follower of. And, and I, I, I asked myself this question, if, if I were alive when the, the New Testament was, was being written, would God have put my name in the New Testament and said, there was a certain disciple named Rick? I, I wonder if I would meet those qualifications. And I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, what are some of the qualifications to being a d devoted follower? And I thought, and I came up with four very simple qualifications for a disciple. The, the first one is uh, their devotion to Scripture. Their devotion to Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verses 15, uh, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Another thing, another characteristic of being a, 
a, a disciple is the fact that she was devoted to the saints. She was devoted to the saints. We see that because uh, the Bible tells us that she was full of good works. But in John chapter 13, verse 35, the Bible says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Wow, what a powerful, powerful thought for us this morning. Another thing that a, a, a disciple needs to be is devoted to prayer. What's your prayer life look like? In Luke chapter 11, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. What were the, 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 the disciples were telling Jesus, hey, we want to be men of prayer. We want that to be one of our characteristics. What does your prayer life look like? And then the fourth characteristic that I came up with uh, is uh, their devotion or her devotion to, to his will in her life. In John chapter 15 and verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in, in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. If you love me, keep my commandments. So there are certain characteristics that go along with being a disciple. We don't know much about Tabitha. We know that she was a graceful lady, and we know that she was a disciple. The second thing that we know is that she was full of good works. <clears throat> full of good works. The word full, and we've talked about this before, means to be completely full. Now, just before the service, <clears throat> I asked Bonnie to uh, get me a bottle of water, and I've, you can see I took a drink out of it. But before I took a drink out, uh, it, it was about to this point right here. Now, was that bottle of water full? No, it wasn't. It, it would be full if it were up to that point. And that is what Tabitha's life was like. She was not this much of a good person. She was all the way to the top. She was full of good works. Her life was full full of good works. She didn't just do random acts of kindness. That's real popular in our society today, to do random acts of kindness. No, that was not what defined her. She, everything she did was good works. She was full of good works. Is charity or good works something that defines you? That's a, that's, a, that's a powerful question. What is one of the things that defines you? One of the things that defined Tabitha was the fact that she was full of good works. She was a skilled dressmaker, as we, as we, as we will read further on. 
and she used her skills to be a blessing to other people. You say, but I'm not a dressmaker. I, I, I don't have any, any skills. We all have skills that we can use to glorify God and to bless others. The third thing that we know about her is that she was a giving person. Uh, and in uh, uh, verse uh, 36 again, uh, it says, uh, Now there was at Joppa a certain uh, disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Now, alms deeds is a, obviously it's not the kind of word we would use today, but it it is something actually referring back to the Old Testament. Um, but when they when a when a Jew, because she was Jewish, when a Jew gave alms, they were giving to the needy and to the poor. So her alms deeds that she did, um, she gave to the poor and to the needy. So she was a very we would call her today a very generous generous person now just for clarification's sake alms is not tithing just 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 for clarification's sake alms is something that you do out of a charitable heart not because god asked asked you to do it so she was a very compassionate person so we find out that she was a disciple that she was full of good works and she was a very giving person. So, number one, a very special person. Number two, let's look at verse number 37. We, see, we will see a very sick person. Number two, a very sick person. Number 37, and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when she, or excuse me, and when they had washed, they laid her in the upper chamber. So, in other words, she got sick and died like that. She was, we don't know what obviously uh, took her life, but she died unexpectedly. And unfortunately, something that is a huge part of life is death. It is unavoidable. Well, that, that's not true. There is one way to avoid it, and that is the rapture, okay? <laughs> and that can happen at any time. But until that happens, life is something that each and every one, or excuse me, death is something that each and every one of us is going to have to deal with in some form or another. But to me, the saddest death is that of a believer when they die spiritually, not physically, but when they die spiritually. That to me is sadder than a physical death. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the ways of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What is, what is God trying to tell us in 2 Peter chapter 2? It had been better for them not to have known righteousness. 
for a for a believer to backside to the point where they are spiritually dead is a scary place. Now, the health experts that I've listened to, I don't. It, it seems like this COVID nineteen thing changes constantly, and and there's reasons for that because they they are truly learning as they go. But my understanding is that someone can get COVID-19 and go through the process of being sick and, and then be healed and not even know it. Is that right? You're a nurse. Is that right? Okay. <clears throat> so good. I, do, I, I got my information correct. So you can get sick. My understanding is that you can get sick with COVID-19 and be perfectly fine and never have a symptom or anything. And the only way you know is to take a test to see if you had it, okay? So, I believe many believers have contracted spiritual COVID-19. They're sick spiritually but they don't know it. And as I thought about that, I thought of one person, actually I thought of two people, but I'm only going to use one as an example. A guy named Balaam. I think Balaam is a perfect example of, of a believer who is spiritually sick and doesn't know it. In Numbers chapter 22 and verses 26 and following, it says, And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place uh, where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and said unto Balaam, <clears throat> What have I done to the, uh, unto thee that thou hast smitten me three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would uh, there, I, I, I would there, were a sword in my hand, for I now would kill thee. Now, if that isn't the, the epitome of ignorance i don't know what is here this guy is so blinded or so sick spiritually he doesn't even realize he's talking to a donkey you you know what i mean (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah he's arguing with it yeah that's even that's even worse but how many times do we beat our heads against the wall spiritually speaking And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I uh, thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I even uh, uh, was I even wont to be so unto thee? And he and he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and the sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. 
oftentimes I get asked the question, why, why do we have revivals? Why is, why is revival so important? You just read why it's important. Because God can use revival to open our eyes. Because if you think you're immune to talking to donkeys, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. I talk to a donkey all the time. I talk to myself. <laughs> Seriously. We can be spiritually sick and there, there are times that we need revival to help us open our eyes and to see that we're sick. Number three, a revived person. Number one, we see we saw a special person. Number two, we saw a sick person. Number three, a revived person. Let's look at verse 38 and following. <clears throat> and for as much as Lydia was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him unto the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, all forth, and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. To our knowledge, she did nothing wrong. She had no sin in her life that caused the illness that caused her death. We, we don't know of anything all we know is that she was a disciple, that she was a uh, very uh, gracious and kind person, that she was full of good works. We don't know why she died. That, and there are a lot of things that we could pull out of this passage, but for the, this morning, for time's sake, I, I want to look at uh, just two verses, and that is uh, verses 40 and 41. It says, but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turned him to the body, saying, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, presented her alive. I believe that in verse 40 and 41, we will see the embodiment of revival. And you think, what? Well, just, just hang with me a minute. 
there are three things that I want to pull out of these two verses. The first one is revival always involves second chances. Revival always involves second chances. I praise God for the second chances that he's given me. I praise God for the third, the fourth, the fifth, sixth, the 200th chances that he's given me in my life. One of the most precious verses in all scripture to me is Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. See, underline the words, remember no more. See, God does not forget your sins for, for two reasons. One, if he forgot your sins, then it would be a character flaw of God. And God has no character flaws. Now, we forget things all the time. Just ask my wife. I forget stuff all the time. But God doesn't forget any. Think about this. God chooses not to remember your sin. How many of you have ever prayed and said, Okay, God, I did it again. For the, for the 200th time today, I did it again. You know what God says? Did what? Again. What do you mean do it again? See, when we believe and we trust in and we claim 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if we believe that, when we pray and ask God to forgive our sins, what does he do? He chooses not to remember them. Why is that so, such a comfort to me? The reason that is such a comfort to me is I know God in, in eternity, in the future, God will not beat me over the head with all the stuff that I've done wrong today. Does that make sense? I have a God who loves me so much, he will not bring up my past and say, look all, all the bad stuff that you've ever done. But yet, is that not what we do to each other? How sad. In Micah chapter 7, in verses 18 and 19, it says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He restraineth not his anger, uh, forever, because he delighteth, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> because he delighteth in mercy. <coughs> he will turn again. <coughs> he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquity and cast and will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He chooses not to remember. Number one, revival always involves second chances. Number two, revival always involves the right sequence of events. 
the right sequence of events. First, <clears throat> we need to hear. We need to hear. What does he say to her? He says, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise. What, what, if, what if, for whatever reason, we decide, you know what? I don't want to listen to the Spirit of God. Then he cannot do a work in our hearts and our lives. We have to be willing to hear. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, and as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The invitation has been given. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, knocking and saying, open the door. But if we do not hear or we do not listen we cannot have fellowship with an almighty God. Revelation chapter 3 is not written to the unsaved, although it can, the application can be made. Revelation chapter 3 is written to the church. It is written to the saved. And <clears throat> we need to hear in order to respond. Second, we need a hand. We need a hand sometimes. What, is, what does Peter do here? <clears throat> Look in verse 40. And when Peter uh, put them forth, he knelt down and prayed and turned him to the body and said, uh, uh, said Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when, Peter, when she saw Peter, she sat up. In verse 41, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. There are just times you just need a hand. And that's one of the things revival is, is about. In Matthew chapter 14, in verses 30 and 31, it says, And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried and said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, Thou, uh, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? See, revival is about helping people back on their feet, is it not? See, Jesus didn't didn't reach down and pull Peter up and say, "Oh, you little, you you know, where's your faith, you stupid idiot?" And he didn't, and he didn't chastise him and call him all kind of names and beat him over the head. And, and, and no, what does he do? He just reaches down and he says, "Where's your faith?" Come on, let me help you. What does Peter do with Tabitha? He, she, she sits up and he, and he gives, her, gives, gives her his hand and says, let me help you. See, is that not what revival is for? Is that not what family's for? You know, the, but, but what happens oftentimes is we can become critical and we can we can we can see somebody struggling and we and we get it in our heads oh it's their own fault had they only done this or had they only done that no 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 that's not that that's not scriptural people need a hand sometimes and that's one of the reasons why revival it needs to take place in our hearts and our lives so that we can reach out 
and be there for others when they need it. The third thing is you need a home. You need to hear, you need a hand sometimes, and then you need a home. And what does he do? He says, and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her. What did he do? He rallied the family together, did he not? Why is it so important in the midst of this pandemic and all of the stuff going on in our world today? Why is it so important that the church of God gather together? It's because we need each other. And that is one of the reasons why revival is so important, because we need each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In the midst of all this craziness in our world right now, a lot of unsafe people, a lot of people outside the church look and say, what's the big deal? Why do you need to get together? Well, it is a big deal. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. Tabitha was a special person who got very, very sick. And God, through Peter, revived her. And never forget, revival always involves second chances. I, I love that. It always involves second chances, and it always involves the right sequence. First, you need to hear. Secondly, you need a hand. And then thirdly, you need a home. We need each other. See, God is always working behind the scenes. God is always working in multiple places at the same time. Why is that so important we understand it? Because, you know, oftentimes what God is doing in your life may not be what God is doing in somebody else's life. And we need to understand that we are all at different stages of growth. That's why we need one another. We need to be interacting with one another. But the key is that we're listening to the Spirit of God speak to our hearts and our lives. Revival is vital. And that's why so desperately I, I'm, I, I pray that you are praying and asking God to do a work in your heart and your life during revival. And not only that, but that you're going to step out of your comfort zone and commit to being here as often as you can. Because it is, the, it is the preaching of the Word of God that God has chosen to speak to the hearts of men. And if we approach revival with a nonchalant attitude, that's exactly what you're going to get out of it. But if you approach it as an opportunity for God to speak to your heart, I promise you, He will. That is the guarantee that we have from the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day.
thank, thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct in our hearts and our lives and that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. With, with revival coming, I ask, dear God, that you would help us to commit our hearts and our lives so that you can do a work in our hearts and our lives. We love you and we thank you for all that you do and for all that you're going to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, has God spoken to your heart this morning? I, I have no idea what it could be. I've covered a lot of things this morning. But is there anybody who say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand. Amen. Could be that someone here this morning doesn't know the Lord, have never asked Christ into your heart. Is there anybody who say, Pastor, I need to get saved this morning. Would, would, would you pray for me as well? Is there anybody like that say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand. I'll pray for you as well. Lord, you know our hearts, and I'm so very thankful and grateful for everybody who's here this morning. What a blessing. And Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct in a very precious, very, very specific way in our hearts and our lives. That we would be more like you in everything that we say and do. Lord, you know the heart behind every hand that was raised. Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct and that you would have your way. We love you and we thank you so much for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.